Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I'm joined by Myron Jobson, who is a personal finance expert at Interactive Investor. Myron is going to be running through how II customers invest and how private investors are performing, which will hopefully provide you plenty of food for thought when constructing and managing your own investment portfolio. So Myron, Interactive Investor has its own performance index. To kick off, could you explain about the index and why it is a very useful barometer that shows how private investors are faring? Yeah, well, you know, we kicked off this index back in 2020, um, yeah, during the pandemic times. And we thought it would be a good idea to just have get an insight, offer us insight as to how private investors are performing. And the way we've done that is that we've had a look at our own customer portfolios and see how they've returned over like different time periods just to give people an insight because there's been a lack of such a type of barometers in the past as to how investors are faring versus market indices like the FTSE 100, the FTSE All Share, S&P, and also the investment associations mixed investment sector, the 40 to 85% shares um, sector, um, which we use actually because we thought it has like a decent mix of cash and bonds and equity. So that could be similar to um, a typical investor's portfolio. Now, of course, I think the the minimum aim for any private investor is to keep their returns ahead of inflation. And in 2023, the typical interactive investor customer achieved that, despite the fact that the, you know, the inflation backdrop was much higher than, than is typical. Now, the typical II customer portfolio generated inflation-beating returns of 8.4%, and that is obviously higher than the very best that you could get on cash, which was around 5% in 2023. You've mentioned, Myron, how the um, private investors that compared against the investment association's mixed investments, 40 to 85% shares sector. Now, the index, it's been going for four years now. Could you run us through how private investors have been faring against the professionals over three years and one year private investors have gained an edge they've beaten the full managers what are your thoughts on this Myron and are there any key trends that you pick out as to why private investors have beaten the full managers yeah so over like yeah since the beginning of 2020 private our average customer has performed better than the average of the IA sector that you mentioned. I think it's important to bear in mind that, you know, fund managers have to invest within their remit. So within the investment philosophy, within the the remit of the fund sector that they're part of, whereas private investors are able to invest based on themselves, you know, what they want. So they only have to think about me, myself and I. And so this has allowed our investors to be quite, well, even more dynamic with their portfolio, say, than the conventional fund managers, if they want to add more bonds, you know, to their portfolio to take advantage of the increase in bond yields following the the return to a high interest rate environment. They can very easily so. And it's quite interesting. Like one thing I looked that stood out to me when I was looking at the data is cash positions. So cash positions, the average IA um, customer cash position in their portfolio actually has gone down since the start of, um, well, well, since we first started collating the data back in 2020. So it's gone down from like something like around 11%. And now it's just under 9%, 8.9%. That's it. And those years have seen a lot of volatility 
in the market. We know it's a lot of it is because of inflation. There's a lot of uncertainty due to inflation. Even before, before that, there was a pandemic, isn't it? You know, gosh, it feels a long time ago because we've been embroiled in this cost of living crisis. So it's, it's been a difficult period. But even so, cash balances have, um, well, cash, waiting to cash has decreased. And I think what this shows is that people have been dynamic with their investments. They have been looking for opportunities. You know, they have been looking at perceived inefficiencies in the market and looking to profit from them. So they really value having that cash part of their portfolio to then just dig into quickly to invest in those perceived market inefficiencies and to, when the opportunity arises, they take advantage of it. And in particular, in 2023, investment trust discounts were very wide for most of the year by their historical standards. You know, we know that with our Interact Investor customers, they do have a great tendency to, to favour investment trusts over open-ended funds, that's unit trusts or OICs. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, four years on from the index being created, the average IA customer has beaten the professionals over that four-year period, but there's not too much in it. It's pretty neck and neck. They've both been up around 14%. However, it's been over the past three years and also the past one year where there's been a bigger gap between the private investors and the fund managers. And I do think that one of the reasons behind that is the allocation to investment trusts. And in particular, in 2023, the last quarter of 2023, we saw investment trust discounts narrow quite significantly in some cases, particularly the likes of um, the alternative assets. And the reason why was due to expectations that interest rates may have peaked. And in 2024, there may be some interest rate cuts on the way. And, you know, the market moved, you know, the market's forward looking and it moved to price that in ahead of that becoming the consensus that it is now. So what are your thoughts, Myron, on investment trusts sort of being like the secret source to that outperformance? Yeah, definitely. You know, just put what you said into context about investment trusts. So according to the AIC, the Association of Investment Companies, the average discounts at the start of 2023 was at 11.7% and actually hit a post-2008, so that's what financial crash time high, of around 16.9% um, at the end of October. But in the last quarter of last year, it fell significantly, recovering at 9%, you know, to the end of last year. So this gives you an indication of how how much investment trust discounts have narrowed. And for our average customer, the investment trust accounts for around 20%. So that's a fifth of their overall portfolio. And it's benefited them a lot because the narrowing discounts helps prop up returns. Um, and that's really come through over the past years as these discounts have narrowed. And of course, investment trusts have certain quirks that make them different from open-ended funds. One of the big advantages that they have, in my opinion, is the ability to potentially maintain or increase dividend payouts each year. This is due to the fact that they can put away 15% of the income generated by the underlying investments each year into a sort of rainy day fund. So when there's a lean period, like you know during the global financial crisis and also the you know more recent COVID nineteen pandemic, investment trust boards they can dip into those reserves and then keep the income flowing. And you know there's a number of investment trusts that have dividend track records of twenty years or more, and in some cases there's a number of them that have um, increased their payouts for over fifty years. Martin, let's break down the data a little bit more. So in terms of age categories, it is the younger investors that over the four-year period have produced 
higher returns. What are your thoughts on this, Martin? Do you think that risk is a big factor of play here, given that, you know, when you're younger, you can, it depends on your, you know, it's, it's, it's different for everyone, but just to generalise, you can take on more risk when you're old, when you're younger, you've got more time on your side to recover from the peaks and troughs that, in, that are inherent with stock market investing. Whereas when you're older, particularly when you're at retirement, you really don't want to see the value of your portfolio plummet at that point, as there will be less time and opportunity for the values to recover. Yeah, most certainly. I completely agree with you, Carl. When you're younger, you have uh, you tend to have a longer investment time horizon. I suppose it really does depend on what stage of life you are. I mean, I can speak to myself personally. I've been investing for you know probably over 10 years now or so, and I actually recently bought a house, so I had to kind of de-risk you know, so people de-risk at different stages when they approach their financial goals. For our older customers, you know, who are approaching retirement, they don't want to be tied up in a very relatively high-risk investment near to retirement because if things go south, and as you mentioned earlier, there's always a inevitable up and downs in markets. But if things go south, that can have a very telling impact on their income at retirement, and nobody wants that. That's why in any advisor kind of worth they salt would say if we actually plan and on using cash and your financial goal is nearby, you know, you might want to consider the risk. And so that's definitely plays into it. And, you know, when you look at some of the holdings um, that the different age cohorts have, it does reflect the idea of the longer your time frame, the more risk you can afford to take on. Completely agree, Martin. And in terms of the holdings, we publish a list of the top 10 holdings for different age categories. And, you know, one clear trend is that, you know, for the younger age categories, so 18 to 24 and 25 to 34, they are much more growth focused investments. Whereas for the 65 plus category, the majority, if not all actually, of the top 10, they are more being invested in for income purposes. Yeah. Exactly. I think part of that is, you know, younger investors tend to be, you know, novice investors, right? They, they might not have the knowledge, you know, this is just generalization. Obviously, everyone's individual um, that say their older counterparts have um, when it comes to investment or the confidence, not the knowledge, but the confidence of investing. So, you know, a lot of youngsters want to start simple, you know, start basic multi-asset fund, um, maybe a passively or actively managed um, global fund, you know, start simple. And as they understands investment more as as their knowledge builds up, they might then speculate. And bear in mind, young investors tend to put in less amount of money than the older cohorts initially. And so I think that has a telling impact of how people invest too. So there's a difference between investing £1,000 versus investing £10,000. With £1,000, you know, I maybe might not be able to speculate on risky shares and stocks, you know. So, you know, 25% of that is quite significant risk to take on. Whereas older investors, they might say, oh, well, I might have £10,000 to invest. So I can still say if a young investor is putting £250 um, into a stock, you know, which is quite high risk, that's a quarter of their portfolio. But if someone who's got more to money to invest, like £10,000, that's a, a lot smaller part of their overall portfolio. So yeah, it really does depend on how much money you actually have to invest. Again, all the investors tend to have a little bit more money and also how much knowledge you have. I completely agree. I mean, and that's shown in the data. So for the 65 plus category, seven of the top 10 holdings are individual shares. Just to give you some examples of um, most popular holdings for 65 plus, they are Shell, Lloyds Banking Group, 
BP, GSK, National Grid and Legal and General. You know, they're all FTSE 100 companies. They usually do have reliable dividends and I think most of them do at the moment have quite a decent dividend yield that's above the market average of around 4%. And as you touched upon as well, Myron, with the younger age categories, you can definitely see a lot more of a preference to outsource the investment decision-making you know, there's some actively managed funds in those categories. So um, there's Alliance Trust, Scottish Mortgage, F&C Investment Trust. Then you've also got a number of passive funds. So these follow the up and down movements of a particular index. So investors that are buying passive funds, they're gaining plenty of diversification and getting exposure to broadly the market return, obviously minus the fee that is charged by the index fund or the exchange trader fund and ETF. But in a lot of cases, and in most cases nowadays, the um, the fee that passive funds charge is very low cost. It isn't until you get to the um, the older age categories when you start seeing some individual stocks in the top 10. So the 35 to 44 and the 45 to 54 categories, they both have Tesla and Apple in the top 10 holdings. And in the 55 to 65 category, there's the likes of Shell, BP and Apple, And I've just ran through those income stocks that 65 and older investors are favouring. Whereas for those younger two categories, there's no individual stocks at all. And I think it goes back to the point that you were making, Myron, that if you want to gain plenty of diversification when you start investing and, and as you continue investing, but you know, if you obviously if you have a set, you know, a a smaller lump sum to invest, then that does take you more towards outsourcing the investment decision rather than picking your own stocks. Oh yeah, most certainly. I think it's it's quite interesting. I think a lot of people, when they think about young investors, they think, oh right, they just invest in maybe a couple of really high risk shares or whatever. But there is this understanding among many people are initiated that just start simple. And as you go on in your investment journeys, you can perhaps be a little bit more speculative, but financial education is incredibly key. I'm just having a look at the most popular investments among the 18 to 24 cohort. And, you know, you see some holdings that are present across the age cohort. And I sometimes think, oh, is there a parental factor here? Maybe parents are helping their children with their investments. And I think that that's an idea that shouldn't be discounted. I've never really thought about that before, Myron, but that definitely could be a factor, particularly with the active funds that are in the top 10 list for the 18 to 24 category. There could certainly be an element here of parents or grandparents sort of passing on their knowledge. And, you know, that could be the reason why there's the likes of Alliance Trust, Scottish Mortgage and F&C Investment Trust in the top 10. They're all well-known, well-established investment trusts. And, you know, there's also Fundsmith Equity Fund, which, you know, is consistently, well, has been for a very long time, the most popular fund on the Interactive Investor platform. And that's another well-known fund. However, I think with the index funds that are in the top 10, I'd probably be more inclined to think that that is the the younger investors sort of doing their homework and they're reading up on investing. And obviously one of the golden rules of investing is the importance of diversification. And that is what passive funds give you at a very low cost. And another trend, Myron, is that for investors that are going either active or passive, so outsourcing the investment decision making rather than buying their own stocks, they are going global rather than seeking out more focused regional exposure. This has been a trend for a while. Why do you think it continues to play out? It's just uncertainty, Carl. I mean, it's just been a, it's been a difficult couple of years for investments. I mean, it's been quite turbulent. I mentioned earlier, inflation, the uncertainty of inflation, 
the uptick in interest rates, which has made borrowing a lot costlier, I suppose, and that's had that's buffeted companies. You know, we talk about quality companies, a lot of these quality and upcoming companies rely on debt. You know, a lot of them are highly leveraged. And if you're highly leveraged uh, in an environment, a high interest rate environment, that can be seen as worrying for investors, not just us private investors, but institutional investors. And so, you know, it's been a very turbulent period for markets. And as such, it's harder to bet on individual regions to be a winner for your portfolio. And again, among the uninitiated, not necessarily uninitiated, but it's good to have a well-diversified portfolio period, whatever the weather with investments, but even more so when things are looking turbulent. It's equivalent of just having fingers dipped in so many different pies. When one goes cold, there might be others that are really hot, which basically helps prop up the performance of your portfolio. And of course, over the past two years, we've seen interest rates rise, which has really changed the backdrop. So We've seen returns on cash. So if you go to a savings account, those returns have risen on the back of those interest rate rises. And bonds are once again a relevant asset class. Yields have risen in response to interest rate rises. And you can now compare equities against bonds for investing in income. Myron, what are your thoughts on cash as an asset class? I mean, do you think it's sensible to always have a bit of powder dry to take advantage of opportunities as and when they do occur? I think it's important. Cash is a part of a well-diversified portfolio. You know, one thing we say in the industry is you do have to have cash. And, you know, we expect every investor to have some form of cash savings, you know, you know, away from, and from investments to deal with things that happen in life. Life throws a lot of curveballs, the broken boiler tests, etc. We've all heard about it. But within an investment framework, it's good to have readily available cash to take advantage of opportunities that might present itself in the markets. We've seen you mentioned bonds, for example, bond yields have increased because of in this high interest rate environment. And you know, a lot of investors who might not necessarily have considered adding more increasing their bond position have done so you know to take advantage of these attractive bond yields of times of late you know to help prop up their portfolio again in what has been a very volatile couple of years for, for markets and another trend that's been playing out you know you mentioned earlier Myron that the average II customer they've been decreasing their cash position in particular over the past year but just sticking with cash you know we've seen a lot more interest in money market funds and that's on the back of those interest rate rises that started at the end of 2021 so money market funds, they own a diversified basket of very low risk bonds that are due to mature soon, typically in under a year. So as a result, investors can earn an income on their cash with minimal risk. And, you know, when interest rates rise, the amount of income that's generated by money market funds, that increases and that causes fund yields to rise. So the thing to bear in mind is that if and when interest rates are cut, the yield slash income that's being generated by those funds, it will decrease as you know, it will go the other way as well. The most popular money market fund on our platform is the Royal London Short Term Money Market Fund. Its yield is at the moment around 5.3%. And a couple of others in the same sector are the LNG Cash Trust and Fidelity Cash, which have respective yields of 5.3% and 5%. Finally, Myron, I wanted to pick your thoughts on another data point that is um, thrown up in the index and that the index compares the performance of males against females. And it is those female customers that have produced higher returns. 
Martin, could you talk us through why that's the case? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So since we you know, collated the data back in 2020, female customers have outperformed male customers. So they're up 14.6% versus 13.5%. So that's a difference of just over one percentage point. And yeah, I thought it was really interesting. So I had the deeper look and I noticed, again, it's investment trust, similar to why Younger's um, investors have outperformed in recent history. It's, it seems to be the case for female investors. They have a slightly higher portion um, of their portfolio um, attributed um, weighting towards sorry to investment trusts which is again propped up their performance especially in Q4 last year. Now thanks to Myron and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it and if you get a chance leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you'd like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk and in the meantime you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.